This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer. Today's guest is Professor Robert J. Romano. Now, uh, Professor Romano is an assistant professor at St. John's University in the Division of Sport Management and an adjunct professor at, at uh, Quinnipiac. He teaches a diverse course load on a range of topics from ethical and legal considerations in sport management to sports history and even sports social media. Additionally, Professor Romano remain, uh, maintains a robust legal practice with over 25 years of experience focusing on transactional law, mainly for a client base of entertainers, sports figures, and businesses. He's a a well-published author and a sought-after critic and advocate and an experienced expert witness as well. Uh, Professor Romano has a JD from Loyola, a master's in sports management from Columbia University, and LLMs from both St. John's University and Instituto Superior de Derecho y Economía in Madrid. Professor Romano, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I really like the way you pronounce the, the name of my university there. You know, it's, Most of the time, people just look at it and go, okay. <laughs> Hey, you know, I have to take every opportunity to practice my Spanish that I can. <laughs> Fantastic. That was great. <laughs> All right, let's jump into it. So you've been teaching and advocating in the sports field for decades. Have you always like really had a passion for sports? I was, I was an athlete. I mean, my passion started when I was an athlete back in high school and college. What did um, you play? I played football. I played football. I wrestled and I ran track. Wow. Um, but I got I got I got asked to play at Springfield College up in Massachusetts. Played there, played at the, played at that university until I got hurt. So and then, oh, no. then I saw how the, how the process really works. You know, <laughs> once you're injured, you know, kind of things disappear, like um, your scholarship or or the tutors or the um, the better meals or wh whatever that is. So I kind of saw from a different perspective of, of what happens to an athlete once they're no longer of value to a, to a university. Did that kind of drive your advocacy? Not initially. I mean, I think as I got older then reflected back on it, you know, and I said, and I looked at it in, in a different perspective as I educated myself and I was like, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to take care of our student athletes? Aren't we supposed to take care of our students? Aren't right. they students first before athletes, that kind of stuff. So, you know, how did, how did you take that, all of that, you know, your, well, your experience as an athlete obviously led you into something sports adjacent, but why teaching? Teaching, that's a great question. I, I didn't want to teach. I didn't know I wanted to teach. Um, I was at Columbia University. I was getting my master's in um, uh, my MBA with a concentration in sports management at Columbia. And the director of the program came to me and said, you know what, I really would like for you to teach the uh, sports history class. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you, know, I, <laughs> you know, I got to practice. I got to, you know, I, I'm taking these classes. You know, I really just, I don't have time for this. He goes, no, nah, I really want you to do it. And I'm going to slide you in for next fall semester. And that was it. And uh, I started teaching sports history then, right then. Um, I found out that I really enjoyed it. I uh, found out I was actually pretty good at it and um, wanted to continue. So I continued teaching at different universities um that next semester i went over to st john's and talked to their director uh glenn kirstner at the time and said you know i'm, I'm interested in in teaching here and he's like you don't have any experience i said well i taught one class come on that's that's enough experience <laughs> yeah, that's experience <laughs> and you know lo and behold the professor was teaching the sports law class 
bowed out at the last minute. I had a you know three days notice and I was slotted to teach sports law at St. John's in that next spring. And then, of course, Glenn Gerser called me up the night before classes started and said, you know what, we got hospitality law, too, so I'm going to slot you in for that. So <laughs> that was back in 2011, and I've been at St. John's pretty much ever since. So th- is this prior to you acquiring your JD? No, I got, yeah, my my career is kind of weird. Um, you know, I, I went to undergrad. I was an undergrad at Springfield College and went and got my JD um, at Loyola University down there in New Orleans. And then I did what every every good um, grad, law school grad does. I went and um, didn't practice law. I was a comedy writer. I, I did comedy for for a few years. I did stand up improv. I think like some of us here, um, I've done some improv. Yeah, uh, and just basically wrote comedy, wrote for wrote scripts, that kind of stuff. And I circled back at one of my reunions with the guy I played football with at Springfield. And he's like, you know, you're in that entertainment world. I'm in the sports world. Why don't we, you know, combine forces and see what we can do? And sure. that's where I started working on the, on the agent kind of side. I went and got to be a certified NFL rep. I was certified for, for a number of years. And it was during that time frame that I said, well, you know what? I, to better serve my client, my clients, I should you know go back and educate myself just a little bit more. And I went back um, to Columbia and got my um, master's degree at that time. So it was years oh. that I that I did that because I wanted to, you know, I wanted it wanted to give my clients more value, actually. Sure. And I thought that would be interesting way. Interesting. I'd educate myself, and then I could educate my clients. And but then the teaching came into it, and that's where I went back again and got my LLM in international oh, sports law. Uh, I felt that would be added value. Because you know, in, in academia, the JD is is, is a terminal degree. But sometimes right. PhDs, they, they look, I'm not going to say they look down on it, but they look down on it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I figured, well, let me, you know, I have this opportunity to get my LLM and it's something that I'm passionate about. I might as well get it done. And I spent a year, uh, a little over a year doing that. Sure. Wow. That's that's uh, quite the circuitous route. But, you know, you're not the only one. I'm a, a JD who's conducting a, pod, a podcast with expert witnesses. So here yes. we go. <laughs> you never know where, you know, I tell that to my client, you never know where you're going to end up. You never know where your, your career is going to lead you. It's, you're always going to, you know, and there are paths that'll open up or doors that'll open up that you may want to step through that may not be what the traditional graduate does, that kind of thing. Sure. So, so did your your career as an expert uh, proceed, or did it happen after you had already had an established law practice? So it started while I was while I was practicing law. I, I became okay. I started getting asked to be an expert in different areas, and then it predominantly shifted to predominantly sport after gaining my LLM. And oh, okay. That's where it, most I would say. All my experience now as an expert is in the area of sport. You know, before that it was a little, a little, a little varied, but now it's just definitely in that sports area. So, prior to becoming an expert witness, had you as an attorney employed expert witnesses? Yes. yes. So, so you kind of knew what what to what works and what doesn't, right? You kind of knew what to expect as an expert witness. That's not a position that a lot of the experts that I interview have that kind of perspective. So, so how are those two things different? How is it different? What would you tell yourself as an attorney, as an, you know, as an expert? What are the things that attorneys can do to better prepare a new expert that doesn't have that experience yet? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think um, letting them in on the timeline, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, once that case gets, you know, calendared or the trial management gets um, accepted by the court, I think it'd be important to let the expert know that these are our dates that we have to get discovery and depositions and, and everything done by, you know, our final close our pleadings, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, if you allow the expert to know that, um, it lets them know where we are in the case. So I, you know, I, I always ask for the trial management or whatever jurisdiction I'm in, you know, what they call it. Um, so I know, okay, we're still in discovery phase. This is where I need to be in my, my, um, my drafting of my expert report. You know, okay. I, I know that my deposition is going to be coming up, you know, soon because now we're getting into that, into that phase. Let me make sure that my, my, uh, my report is getting finalized. So I'm prepared. So when I get that call, you know, on Friday saying, yeah, you're scheduled to get deposed on, on Tuesday. I'll be like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready. <laughs> what, what, what are the, what are the questions that, that, uh, experts should be asking their attorneys when they first get that call and, uh, you know, they're evaluating whether or not they want to even, you know, say yes to the project. What what are the most important things that they should know? Um, how do you know that your expertise is sufficient for the thing that they're asking of you? That's a great question. Um, that's that's a, a long, I find I, I like a longer interview on that. You know, sometimes they'll schedule me for like a, a 15 minutes. You know, we, okay. we, they'll call me up and they'll say, you know, we want a 15 minute chat with you to see if you're, you're a good fit for us. But I'm like, I don't know. You know, I want to know more about your case. I want to know what, you know, what side you're on. First off, you're the plaintiff, you're the defendant. Um, what is your position on this? Why are, why are you defending this? Um, I really want to get into a little bit more of the facts, a little bit more of the details. And then I'll ask where where you are in the process. Because sometimes I don't get retained until later in the process. Um, sure. In the beginning part. So I want to know where we are. And then I also want to know what's the likelihood of settlement. You know, okay. is, is this case going to is this a case that's going to settle? Is it going to settle next week or is it a case that's going to settle at the eve of trial? You know, because sometimes they're already in settlement negotiations. So, what you know, they're retaining me because the deadlines are coming up, but they're in pretty, pretty involved settlement discussions that is probably sure. going to settle. So I'd want to know that beforehand, because if I'm going to put all my time and effort into something and then it settles, it's like, OK, you know, you know, yeah. You know, we're, what you should have told me this beforehand. You know, before I started really dive doing a deep dive into it, and I think that serves the attorney's clients too. You know, because now they're not paying my fee. You know, uh, they're maybe only paying a quarter of the fee instead of two thirds of the fee because you know they let me know not to that we're pretty close to settlement that kind of stuff. But that's 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 an interesting that's you know that's a, that's an interesting point. So when you you have a pay, you know, different people charge different things, right? Some people do an hourly, some people do by project. Some people have differing, like, like what you just said, you know, maybe if it's at the beginning of the case, it's one rate. And if it's kind of at the end or more narrowly tailored, you know, uh, uh, engagement, then you might have a, a, a different rate. So how do you, how do you uh, develop all of that? How do you, as, as an expert, prepare yourself for those eventualities? For the, on the pay side or? Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's learned. That that's probably one of the more difficult things to learn. I mean, I think that comes with experience. You know, I've gotten to the point where you know I'm, I'm going to want hourly rates for all my prep work and and where I'm um, my report and all that stuff. But I want fixed rates if you're going to ask me to testify. 
you know, oh, that, okay. that's fixed. That's going to change over. I'm not going to do an hourly hourly rate there. No, if you want me to testify at a depot, it's a flat fee. If you hmm. want me to, uh, to testify at trial, then it's another flat fee. You know, so, you know, that way I know if you've, let's say I fly to San Francisco to, to get the deposition or get, go to trial and it settles at the even trial. Well, I'm guaranteed the fee. You know, I didn't put sure. those hours in because I didn't testify. But listen, I, I gave you, I prepped all the time. I was there. I was ready to go. At least I'm going to get compensated for my time. So how, how much negotiating power does a potential expert witness have? In other words, how proactive can they be vis-a-vis rates and, and the like? Uh, it depends on how badly that they want that expert. I mean, just like, <laughs> I mean it, 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 it's the leverage thing. I mean, you know, you feel that out in that initial end interview. It's just as somebody, you know, they want to hire because the other side hired three experts. So we need to hire three experts. Uh, sure. That kind of thing. Or is it really, you know, I've written in this area. I've got some really good expertise in this area. They really want me because, you know, I'm the person that's going to sway that jury. Well, then you got a little more bargaining power on that. So, I mean, it's I negotiate, um, you know, I'll go back and forth until we're both comfortable. You know, so you mentioned. You mentioned the topic of of how you know good of an expert, how how much expertise do you have as an expert? How do you um, maintain that? How do you not only become an expert, but like how do you stay an expert in such a broad field? I mean, you're in sports. There's a million sports out there. I'm not a sportsologist, but I've heard that there's several, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, they all have different rules, and these contracts are all written differently. And you even have international experience, which you know throws even more wrenches into that. Yeah. So how how do you maintain a level of expertise um, that's attractive to lawyers without spending all of your time doing nothing but researching the minutia of the ever-changing dynamic laws of of sports i think i think it comes from i I write a lot i mean i you know so i stay on top of the subject matter because i I write i probably write two articles a month um and i'm wow so you know on current topics what's going on in the world of sports you know um you know what's happening with the coach in, and I'm not going to name any names in New York, um, who sure. got terminated. You know, you know what, what are the crux? What's that appeal about? What uh, not the appeal? What's the, that arbitration about? You know those kind of things. So I write, I consistently write about stuff. I also go to a lot of conferences. I mean mm-hmm. that's that's where um you know I, I like to hear what other people are saying, and what their opinions are because they may have something that I haven't thought about. So I think those are two ways that I go about making sure I'm on top of what's happening. Um, But I also, my my specialty is also more in the area of value, um, in value, you know, the value of an athlete. You know, if they get hurt or if something tragic happens to them, what their actual value is, you know. Um, So, I mean, you know, it's a sport, but it's kind of like whittled down within sport. So there, there, you know, there's general applicability to that, right? Like just about anybody in any field uh, should be going to conferences and staying up on things in authorship. You know, that is important, right? Like, uh, would you say that on bank doing a, a good amount of writing keeps you not only uh, on top of the current topics, but also in the view of people who might use your services? Is that also advertisement of a type? It's creating awareness about yourself. I think so. I mean, you know, I, I get a call every once in a while. Um, hey, Rob, I read your um, your your piece in the Sports Business Journal. And, you know, let's have a conversation about it. You know, you got time to chat with me about this kind of stuff. And I'll be happy to. 
you know, um, that happened maybe four, six weeks ago uh, from an athletic director up in the Northeast to call me up. He said, you know, I didn't understand this about uh, international athletes. You got time? You got a couple of minutes to chat with me? Sure. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that that's important, you know, keeping your name out there. So people are, oh, yeah, it's Romano. Yeah. He's writing about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's the man I want to talk to. So do you, do you find that your name gets out there in that manner? So once people start using you, you kind of develop a uh, uh, a reputation for being a, a good expert. I think that's part of it. I also think, you know, being being there, I mean, you know, doing the work when you're asked to be an expert, you know, actually creating that report that makes sense, reading all the other experts reports and, and evaluating what they have to say and not, you know, does it influence you or, or not? No, but at least I know what the perspective is from a, from a different from a different viewpoint. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's important. But that, you know, that's just me. So, let's let's talk about some uh, cases. Can you talk about any uh, you know cases that you've been involved in? Obviously, you know our listeners know that we can't give specifics. There's a lot of uh, you know. <laughs> legal peril and getting too specific, but are there any uh, interesting or unusual situations or um, or situations that you feel have some kind of general applicability to uh, potential wit- uh, potential expert witnesses and attorneys? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I'm, in generalities, I'd be happy to talk about, you know, you know, stuff that sure. I've experienced, you know, um, I think one of the interesting, more interesting things that happened was, um, you know, I got called it was probably in the late afternoon um, to be an expert uh, on an issue. And they were like, okay, but our hearing's tomorrow hmm. at three o'clock and via Zoom. It's going to be via Zoom. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? and, you know, and it was in an area that, you know, I was familiar with, but I wanted to do a little bit of research on. Um, sure. And, you know, the attorneys met with me, I think it was like six 30 or seven o'clock. We met, we met for an hour and, you know, they got the understanding where they wanted to go with the case, what the what the issues were. You know, I prepped that night and was ready to go. You know, first uh, first first chance the next day. So, I mean, that stuff's going to happen. It's not going to happen often because I think you know. But this wasn't a trial. This was an administrative hearing, and I think at the last right. minute they got called in and like, oh, you know, we don't have an expert in this area. You know, let's get somebody. And in all honesty, I had a blast doing it. Um, because it was, it was kind of a laid back administrative hearing. The administrative judge was really interested in what, what I had to say about this. Cause it was like, you know, well, tell me more about that. How, you know, why do we do that this way? What's the history, you know, cause there's a history to why we do things in sport. And then the administrative sure. judge was really interested in that. And that, that, that made it, made it fun for me, you know, now, you know, not like I was educating the judge, but, you know, just. Letting the court know that this is why we do things a little bit differently in the, in the area of sport. You know. That's interesting. You know, I, I've talked to a, a good number of experts and some of their advice has been don't offer up anything more than is asked. Has mm-hmm. that been your experience as well? And I guess in that situation, you were talking about the judge was specifically asking yeah. for, for that. So, of course, you offered it up. But uh, is that, you know, in, in general, is, is that what you would advise? I think so. I think, you know, you don't want to open the door up to something that may harm your harm a client. Um, sure. You know, you don't want to do that. And, and, you know, especially you don't want to on cross. Keep it simple. 
you know, yes, no, you know, let, let the attorney work for the answer. You know, if they're, you know, if they don't, they didn't do their homework, if he or she didn't do their homework um, and they don't work for it, then they're not going to get it. You know, has a a significant portion of your work been gone to trial? Have you had to deal with cross a lot? I have, I have not a lot, not a lot, um, but I have been a number of times I've been cross-examined. Yeah. Um, probably in the area of five to seven. What what kind of strategies do you employ for that? How do you stay calm, cool, and collected during cross-examination? I just stay prepared. You know, I just, that's the only thing you can do. I think you stay prepared, you know, right. not, you know, you, you got to understand, you got to read everybody's ever, all the expert reports, understand where they're going, where they mm-hmm. came to their conclusions, um, do some background on them, you know, because they, they may, their, their sources may not be all that good, you know, or they may be great. I don't know, you know, but they may say, well, our expert, you know, disagrees and this is why. And I'm like, well, that's a bullshit report. So, you know, <laughs> you know, so you know, of course I'm not going to agree with them. So I think doing your homework, um, staying on top of what the other experts um, reports are, and then doing a, a deeper dive into how they came to their conclusions um, helps you a lot on cross. That's, that's, you know, an interesting topic. Uh, not only are you are you obviously at opposition to the attorney on the other side, but to the witnesses that they have. And mm-hmm. you know that they've probably done their oppositional research on you because they're going to try and impeach your expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess all of the things that you talked about come together as a bulwark against that being prepared, uh, you know, being an actual expert in your field and understanding the specifics of the case. Yeah. It was an interesting story on that. And I was in, I was involved in a trial one time where I was an expert on one side and my former professor was an expert on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that was fun because, you know, when he was up there, he was saying, well, he doesn't, you know, I thought I, I thought I taught him better than that. And, you know, you you know, (laughs) he said that in court. Yeah. You know, anyway, he's a great guy. And I, you know, I didn't, I was kind of laughing about it, you know? So that was an interesting dynamic. um, Having both of us, the teacher and the student, both, both as the experts, but it made me proud. And I think it made him proud also. That's, that's, that's great. Um, You know, uh, before we wrap up, wrap up, I I do want to pivot to just some general advice. Um, I've spoken to many experts who have told me, you know, what makes a successful relationship between an attorney and expert, but as both an attorney and an expert, Mm -hmm. what are the most important, what are the crucial pieces of advice that you would give to both attorneys and to uh, experts, especially newer experts who aren't sure exactly what they're getting themselves into? What are the the most important things you'd like to drive home? Communicate and respect each other. I mean, I think that's the two things. Communicate, have open lines of communication. You know, I understand. We we all understand everybody's busy. You know, a lot of things are going on. But if you retain me as your expert, you know, let's let's have that open, open dialogue there. And then the respect. There's respect between the two. And I think that's important. I think if you show respect, you'll get that respect back. And, you know, you asked about that, you know, for cross-examination too. I respect the other side. I respect that they're working hard. And I think that when I show them respect, it's hard for them not to show me the respect that, that, I, that I deserve. You know, I'm, I show deference to, I always show deference to the court, but I always show deference to the attorneys. I mean, for the most part, you know, they're, they're working hard. So um, I think that, that's important also. So communication and respect. 
That's great advice. Um, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Thank you so much, Professor Romano, for joining me here today. And I hope our listeners will join me again soon for another discussion at the roundtable. Cheers. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 